Welcome back, everybody, to the Love Means Nothing podcast, episode thirteen. And we're not gonna, we're not gonna, we're not gonna brush it under the rug that we haven't done an episode in nearly three weeks. But if we are gonna make excuses, uh, Drew had COVID, and Drew was working a lot. But that should be no excuse, and we should be getting out some episodes once a week at least, and that'll be how it will be moving forward. So first and foremost, we want to apologize to the fans. Yes. Um, Let me just say this. I did, I did have COVID. I contracted COVID-19. Um, unfortunate. Uh, when I got, you know, when I got diagnosed, I just assumed it was going to be no problem and everything. And it did take a turn for the worse. I am. I'm okay. I'm fine. Um, but it took about a week, week for me to recover. I still think I'm recovering. And then uh, to be honest, Vid's right. We should have recorded a podcast because you know, we were here on the pod criticizing, you know, Berrettini and Chilich and basically anyone who pulls out of a tournament for COVID, we criticize them and say you should just be playing and just go out there and, you know, try to win, especially when it's a major. Um, so if we're criticizing for them for that, we should be able to get on a Zoom and talk for an hour about the tennis players. So um, I, do, I, I do apologize for that. Um, and if you're wondering, I'm, I'm feeling great. Uh, I played tennis a couple times and uh, I think I'm I'm well on uh, the way to recovery from, from, this, from this deadly, deadly disease. From this deadly virus. Scary. It was scary stuff. Scary stuff. Scary stuff. Scary stuff. When I, when I got the positive test, I, I didn't, didn't, know, didn't know what to do. I kept looking up, you know, what are my chances of, of death? But um, <laughs> so I'm still here and the podcast, the podcast will go on, which is the most important thing. Yes. Thank God. I mean, we were... At one point, yeah, we were concerned about your legitimate health, not the podcast. So, um, but no, it's been good. We're actually um, in DC. Uh, City Open is has started, and things are in a uh, full swing down here. Drew and I have been able to get on the court ourselves, um, do some hitting here, do some coaching with yep. some kids. Uh, we were actually hitting just at some random club in DC, and. Uh, the, one, of, uh, one of the coaches on the court next to us uh, took, uh, I guess you could say, a liking to our game. Uh, we started talking to him, and he was actually the uh, head coach at Sidwell Friends, a high school uh, in the Washington, D.C. area. And then he asked us, he's like, oh, are you guys free tomorrow? Come around. Like, he's had some clinic with some kids, so he's like, come, you know, talk to the kids, hit with the kids. They would... Uh, love to do that so we did that which was a kind of a random random but fun experience and also also we have been at the city open the last last couple of days so yeah it was, it was it was good because the coach who saw us hitting was like wow you guys are hitting the ball uh really well can you you know come come talk to the kids tomorrow maybe do some coaching with them and it was great and then you know the next day when we were there i was asking him so are you going to be you know, at the city open today. And he said, yes, I'll, I'll be there today. I'll be there tomorrow. And I was happy, you know, cause you know, he was able to go to city open, but I was also like, well, I'm glad that he saw us play before he went to see the pros because if he saw us after he probably would not have taken a liking to us, did not think that we were that good and would not have invited us to, you know, coach, coach and help the kids out. So 
Um, that was a good timing on things. Uh, but yeah, I think when it comes to this professional tennis and you're seeing it in person, it's just like they talk about unrealistic beauty standards in normal life, right? You have like the models, you have the really good looking people and you know, the normal people like us are, <laughs> we can't, we can't live up to that expectation. It's the same thing when it comes to tennis. When you're, when you walk in the city open and you just hear the sound of the ball that's being hit by these professional tennis players. And you might think you're good at tennis, but mm -mm. in reality, you're not. You're, you're not. <laughs> and, and, and it's just, yeah, it's crazy because we'll get, we'll get frustrated. We're like, you know, why, why I can't hit, you know, piece together three balls that sound like they're hitting the middle of the strings and cutting through the ball like butter. But yeah, like Drew says, it's just, just an unrealistic expectation. So um, I'm going to say for what we got to do and probably what everyone who's listening when they're playing tennis, uh, compare yourself to you. Um, you are your own opponent. Be better than yourself every day. I guess that's kind of a cliche, but it is the way to go, especially uh, with tennis because there are so many levels uh, to the game. It, it is also ironic because you get to see the practice courts as well. And these players, they'll play an amazing point and they'll just, you know, do something a little wrong and they'll get so mad at themselves. They'll be like, you're so bad at tennis. They'll hit themselves in the, in the head with the racket. So even these guys are, I guess, not impressed with their, with their own ability, which is kind of, uh, kind of crazy. Obviously they know that they're good, but they get so frustrated with themselves and we're watching. It's like, how could you get so frustrated? Everything you did was perfect, you know? Uh, yeah, no, definitely, definitely crazy, but it has been good to be at the city open. Uh, Drew, what are your takeaways? We went to, so I saw a little bit of qualifying, but we were there yesterday. Uh, I think that was all, that was first round Tuesday. Uh, but Drew, what were some things that stood out to you when you were watching? Uh, specifically, I think one thing that really stood out to me was the, depth of shot and how low a lot of the ATP players hit it over the net. You know, we always talk about how, you know, you want spin and you want to push your opponent back, but like the, the, the Ivashka Korda match, these guys were hitting it maybe like a couple inches over the net really flat. And I think in my head, usually when I think of that, it's more of the women's who hit it, hit at that flat level. But I kind of realized why they were doing it because every time either one of those guys, Ivashka or Korda, would hit a little bit of a spinny, loopy ball, the other guy just hits a drive and then the point's over. So I think from a tennis perspective, that's what I guess surprised me the most. In terms of like players that I was really looking forward to see yesterday, Jack Draper, definitely. I wanted to see how good he was because we hype him up on the podcast and he's a, he's a prospect. Um, dominating the challenger tour and someone that me and vid think will like soon be in the top 20 but we saw him play against rublev and it was just very apparent that rublev was at another level uh for jack draper and i was a little disappointed because his forehands his forehands were good but they were kind of a little short um so i think i think draper didn't impress me as much as i thought Right. And I'll say one thing, the thing you were touching on earlier about how kind of the men's game, they're starting to hit flatter, lower, and you don't necessarily need to do that. You obviously have guys that, you know, are not comparable to anyone else, but guys like Nadal who hit that really high, heavy ball. But the thing is when you're hitting that high, heavy ball, you make, 
your margin for error is smaller in the sense that the player will be able to attack if the ball is shorter in the court, if that makes sense. So if you're hitting flat through the ball a foot, two feet, two and a half feet over the net, and you're not hitting it within three, four feet of the baseline, there's still not a lot your opponent can do with that to take advantage um, of the point and be on the offensive. Whereas if you're hitting that spinnier ball and you kind of land it a little bit too far inside the service line, then any player at the level or watching these guys play at can step in and crack a winner or be on the offensive uh, immediately. Yeah, that's that's Draper's problem is that his forehand is amazing, but he's got too much spin under it. So if he has a little bit of an issue on his forehand where it lands a little short, Rublev would just come in and destroy it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I thought my thoughts on Draper were the same. And but just like where I saw the difference was we were watching Draper practice with Marcos Hirone um, outside on the practice courts the day before his match. And Jack Draper looked like Superman on that practice court. He was hitting r- unbelievable shots, um, making Marcos look like, you know, like he couldn't essentially couldn't do anything uh and then we just kind of assumed wrongly so that that would translate to the match court and it it really didn't draper uh the young brit was looking pretty exhausted in the heat and it was only a set into the match against rublev so not something you want to see someone being tired that exhausted in a match that was not extremely physical points were not that long so yeah, the other thing you notice when you're there on the court and you're watching is like the body language of, of the players. You know, Sebastian Corda had great body language the whole time and just had an upright stature. But with Draper, you could see he was like bowled over, gasping for air. And Rublev noticed that and was actively trying to speed up the points. You know, so that's like kind of a veteran move. That's something you don't see necessarily on TV, those, those tactical things. Yeah, exactly. Why, um, what, what do you think is contributing to... I know we're, we're kind of going down this Draper hole, but uh, why, why is he out of shape? Why is he not? Why is he out of shape? Because I think it's very easy to stay in your comfort zone, especially when you've been having success, and he has been having success. And he's been training indoors. Um, and I don't think that this kind of a humid heat in D.C. he's used to. But he also, at Wimbledon, wasn't able to – have the fitness level to keep up with Alex Dimonor. So I would think that his, and he hasn't played any tournaments. So I would think that his, he'd be able to, you know, train physically. I don't know what the, I don't know what the reason is, but I, the only thing I can think of is maybe he's like believing his hype a little too much and not putting in the work necessary, but that's hard to believe also. So. No, yeah, I don't think, I don't think he's doing that, but yeah, like, like you touched on the Brits love to love the train indoors during the summer. They love uh, getting out in their 70 degree weather uh, in England and playing a little tennis training out there when uh, it's just not the grueling heat and conditions you're going to get in places like Washington DC Mason Ohio uh, New York City where these tournaments are held so shout out Emma Raducanu for understanding that going down to Florida to train before uh, coming up to Washington DC and hopefully that will pay uh, dividends, but anyone else? I guess I'll just kind of talk about a couple of guys that I saw in these early rounds that really impressed me. 
Uh, Kyle Edmund, who's a 28-year-old Brit, uh, as you know, some of you probably know, was out for two years nearly uh, with some knee surgeries. He was looking solid uh, in his first-round match, got his first ATP win uh, in I want 700-some days. Uh, I lost to Dan Evans yesterday, but it was good to see him back. And then uh, another player that uh, Drew and I both watched was Dominic Kepfer. Amazing. Uh, I mean, I don't know how to even describe the kind of tennis I was watching from that guy. Yeah, that was that – was, he was playing Karen Kachanov. And his speed combined with his forehand, combined with his backhand and his touch – was just ridiculous and like the consistency i can't believe that he's not you know he's not in the top 50 or top 40 or has never been that high has he ever he's never been in the top 50 right I, I, he might have cracked he might have cracked it but I, I don't know i don't know if he's ever been there also you know karen kachanov that guy is unbelievable at right yeah i i i don't i don't think i've given karen kachanov enough credit just like in terms of bringing up his name uh, in conversations, but after, and he is a masters 1000 champion. If, um, if you didn't know that it's some, it was at the Paris event, not sure when, uh, but yeah, his name is not brought up enough. He was top 10 in the world. Drew reminded me yesterday and uh, yeah, his level is fucking honestly insane. His forehand literally Kepfer was hitting perfect shots and it didn't matter what he did because Kachanov's forehand was just like a missile. Everything that Kepfer tried, it was it was not it was not working because because you can put you can put Kachanov on the side, you can put it in the middle, you can hit flat, you can hit it deep, spin. It doesn't matter. That that forehand might be one of the most impressive forehands I've ever seen in person. Yeah, I guess you know a good point from Drew was maybe Kepfer could have. Uh, throwing a couple slices into the Kachanov forehand because he's a really bizarre grip. He's also really tall. So maybe getting low and um, picking that up would have been harder. But, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, these, yeah. are, these are minor I, things I, that we I'm, just talked I'm, about. I'm, I'm long Karen Kachanov this tournament. I think he's looking really good. I think he can make some noise. I agree. I, 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 I don't know if they're on the same sides of the draw, but I would say uh, Kiggs, Kachanov, semifinal or final. Unless they're like playing next round, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I know. I mean, that's just some of the matches. There's a lot of good stuff going on here. I think the other thing that we we see is like when we're watching the players practice, you can sometimes tell by their body language and you know what how they're looking, how they're going to perform the match. Exactly. Exactly. Let me just jump in. I watched Andy Murray practice looked just so bad in practice and then i told drew uh he, drew's like oh he's playing yammer there's just no way he loses i was like i don't know he looked really awful in practice and then went out um and lost yeah we were watching we were watching clara tossen as well like the upstart from denmark on saturday watching the, her. Uh, the upstart yes the young <laughs> upstart. watching her practice every single shot she hit Every single point, even if she won it, she would just like turn around, complain to her coach, and just did not look confident even when she was making shots. And then she proceeded to lose like six two six two. She's also um, I don't know if you saw. She's lost like eight. I don't think she's won a match. She's won like three matches. Four, I think four matches this year. So that's really bad. But I guess moving away from like the the players, the matches, 
um, blah, blah, blah. What is your experience been as, as a fan, as a fan at the end event, how would you rate the fan experience? Uh, you know, the fan experience I would say is pretty good. Um, they do have professional tennis, which is like, ultimately that's what you're there to watch. Um, and that is the best part is that you get to watch for tennis on the flip side of that. You know, it's obviously an extremely hot uh, environment in DC, 91, 92, 93 uh, degrees, and you're sweating your ass off. They really only have one sort of air conditioned space and that's just the cafeteria. Um, so that place is always packed. There's tons of people in there. And when it comes to the actual contents of the food, um, it, I'll say this, Washington DC is America's capital. So the food really does enca truly encapsulate America uh, at this event. Uh, hot dogs, fries, burgers, chicken tenders, pizza. But if you're someone who wants to, you know, is on a diet or wants to eat healthy, there's really not too many options for you at, at this site in terms of in terms of food. I'll say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. It's just one. That's one of the drawbacks of the site for sure. It's. Um, it's definitely on the lower end uh, of the sites that I've been to. And I don't know if it's because it's like a 500, 250 event, but I don't feel like that's an excuse because it's in Washington, DC. You would think that a lot of sponsors would want to sponsor the event, given the fact that it's in America's capital. It's not some fucking random 250 in Umag, Croatia or something. So you'd think they'd be able to attract sponsors, attract more money to upgrade the site upgrade uh the facilities and yeah obviously the food um uh people are probably not as into that as us but like you know you put a gun to my head i couldn't find two healthy meals at that site well you could find you could just there's one salad there's one salad it's a uh arugula salad uh with like not too many other ingredients so that's the single that's a single healthy look 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 the 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 fan that they're catering to at at this event um, the DC event is like your typical American baseball fan, you know, some fat guy from the middle of Ohio who wants to watch the nationals play against, uh, you know, the Cincinnati Reds. And he wants to stuff his face with hot dogs and fries and not give a damn about his health and the micronutrients he's putting in his body. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, you, you combine the Washington, D.C. crowd with a tennis crowd. Again, you combine those two people who like to stay in shape, people who like to take care of their bodies. It, the food just does not live up, to, to live up to, that, to that standard at, at all. You know? And I, we, we were in a, almost a food emergency the other day because it was so hard to find, find healthy food. But um, luckily, uh, luckily, we were able to I was able to get access to the players lounge, player lounge area. And uh, let me tell you, when they talk about the haves and the have nots, uh, going from the player, player lounge where they have uh, ready-made smoothies, salads, sushi, steak, uh, pasta stations, uh, that, was, that was great. I was able to get myself some grilled chicken and grilled vegetables. Um, but I don't think that we're gonna be able to have access to the player lounge every day, um, so. So yeah, we're gonna have to our food. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah, well, I'm not advocating for like, the, they're giving the general public the shit that the players are getting, but like, you know, just make the site just a little bit nicer, nicer to be at. But that, I guess 
kind of the crossover of this, but the fan experience and the players is what me and Drew have noticed. Um, we've actually noticed it at other tournaments as well, but it's, um, you know, pretty apparent at this tournament. And now that we have the pod, it's something that we can talk about is the way that uh, the fans treat these players. Like we, we get it. We're, you know, starstruck by some of these players as well. Um, you know, we think it's really cool that we get to watch them. We would love if we had the opportunity to chat with them at some point, but uh, the general public really treating uh, these players like animals, not human beings when they come off the practice court, um, yeah. mobbing them. Um, yeah, yeah, mobbing right. them, screaming, screaming their names out. And that's something that we underestimate too as fans. We just say, oh, like they're going to a tournament, they're preparing, they you know, have to worry about their matches. But then they also have to worry about interacting with the fans. Obviously, you want to give your time. You want to give autographs, pictures. But you don't want to be a dick. But at the same time, you want to be able to prepare for your match. So every time you see these, some of these players, especially the famous ones, kind of walking around the site, like from the, the player lounge to either get their racket strung or maybe to the court or leaving the site, you can just tell that they're, like, looking around, like, really hoping, you know, no one asked them for, for a picture and stuff like that. I guess it's something you just get used to. Um, but at the same time, I do feel bad that, yeah, they don't get they, – they're human beings as well. And I can understand the frustration that some players might have with, with that and just yelling at their name, like expecting that you're going to have a, a selfie. And you're, if, you, if you say no, you're basically automatically a bad guy or bad girl, right? Which is just not shouldn't, – shouldn't be the case. And I can understand if there's kids that are doing it, really young kids. If I was a player, I'd actually love to, you know, give my time to, you know, kids who are in high school or middle school. But when grown men and women are, you know, screaming, Emma Raducanu, Emma Raducanu, at, <laughs> at, at like a 19-year-old girl who's just trying to play tennis, that's when it, to me, gets a little, a little weird, okay? Yeah, it's a little, it's a little bizarre um, that people would take it kind of, you know, to that. Yeah, like you said, especially grown adults. Like, you're not going to... I don't know why they're not gonna be best friends with them. Yeah, I don't know why you're. I don't know why you're. You know, screaming for an autographic picture when you're a grown ass woman or a grown ass man. But um, yeah, the only thing that the only thing something to think about. The only thing we do would if, if we're walking by a player who had a good match, we'll just say like "nice match" or "good luck" or something like that. Like we're not gonna we're, we're not gonna be like mobbing them, begging them for pictures. I remember last year when Nadal was there it was literally like every time he was out there there's just like a mob of people just going with him freaking herd of buffaloes or something it was just it was just very it was very unfortunate but um yeah i it, it is it is hard for to do that. yeah i know that's just something we thought we'd touch on it's we always we always think about it and like you know um if you have a chance if you see if you see like Honestly, if you see like your favorite player or a play any any player like walking in the street, like then you can probably strike up conversation with them. They'll likely be okay with it as long as you're not being like a, a fucking weirdo. Um, and I'm sure you know everyone likes when people talk to them. I'm sure they would dig it. But yeah, screaming at them uh, at the site is just that's just not it. Um, but we thought it's an observation we had. We thought we'd just talk about it for a second. Okay, do you want me to do the trivia or? Yeah, you go first. Okay. So this is a tactical technical, like I said. Um, so if you're an ATP, on the ATP tour, if you're returning and you're up love 15 on your return, what percentage, what do you think the tour average of 
is the percentage of times that you break. And I'll give you within 5%. If you're up love 15, yeah. you're probably going to break 27% of the time. 38%. Fuck. And the tour, the tour leader is Carlos Alcaraz. He's 51.8%. So he, if he's up love 15, he's breaking more times than he's not being, than he's not. That's, is that something you want to know as a player, like going into a match? Probably not. I just wouldn't want to know that. Like if, if someone going in to play Carlos, no, they'd be so nervous on every first point of their service game, right? <laughs> I get it, it's that's, not, that's the thing. You want, you, we always talk about analytics and how, many, how much analytics is good for a player. I agree. If you know that, you're probably so worried. And every time... Carlos gets a point on your return on your serve. It's 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 not it's not good. Yeah, that, I mean that's not analytics. That's just a stat. That's a, that's just a crazy stat, you know. Right, right. Where you I mean it's not you can't action anything out of that besides being nervous on your the first point. And what about love thirty? What do you think about love thirty? What what's the ATP tour average um, for people breaking serve? Forty seven percent. Fifty nine. Yeah. You are not underestimating the return prowess or maybe overestimating. How I just feel like there's a lot of times, I, I don't know, I, obviously I'm wrong, but I just feel like there's a lot of times where guys will, you know, be up big in a return game and then just server will come, come out. Yep. And Alcaraz also leads the tour on that 77%. That's a really, like, good thing to lead the tour on. Yeah, I mean, it's true. I mean, that just probably means the serve needs to get better, I would think. Um, the serve from the other guy, Alcaraz. Because if that's your stats, I mean, yeah, you should be. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how, how often he's getting broken. Interesting. All right, do you want to do quote? Quote. I have a. I have a, I have a great quote for you. Um. Okay, I'll read the quote. The quote is: Now I understand how things work, and how facts can be misinterpreted, twisted, and used for the worst purposes by the media. <laughs> Now they understand. So they didn't understand before. Something must have happened. Now they understand. Now they understand. Correct. So uh, your options are Jensen Brooksby, okay. Max Cressy, Emma Raducanu, or, or Holger Rune. Okay, so they've all had some sort of media attention recently, and the media has twisted things in their maybe in their mind. I don't think Jensen has the balls to say something like that. Like I don't think he would say, "Oh, the media is twisting something," because I feel like he just hides behind and is not very outspoken. Um, Holger Rune, I think that's something that he would say. Feisty guy, feisty attitude. Emma, definitely so someone who could say that. Um, because she's been dealing with this media shit for a long time. You think it's gotten to her? You think she's fed up? She's like, fuck she's this. She's putting up with it, putting up with it, having that like smile on her face, trying to stay composed, trying to stay calm, trying to be, you know, the media's best friend, uh, trying to, you know, appease everybody. So I think she might be someone who's fed up with it. And now she understands. Because oh. of her, her and Federer are in a weirdly the same position with um managing their reputation um yeah exactly <laughs> um 
So I'm between like Emma and Holger Rune. Who's the, who's the last one person you said? Cressy. Max Cressy. Is that who, is that who I said? Or did I say, or did I say Bublik? I don't know, man. Um, Cressy. I'll just, but if Emma was, I feel like I would have heard it. You, you've got, oh. you've got, you, you, you've got it down to either Holger Rune or Emma in your mind. So who do you think it is? If either of those are right. Holgerun. Yep. Holger <laughs> yes, because Emma, Emma, Emma just manages her reputation too well. Like I, I, I have no doubt that that's a hundred percent the thought going thoughts going through her head is how fuck the media, how every single thing that I do is like some big controversy. You know, whether it's like missing a forehand in the net or hiring Dmitry Tursunov on a trial basis, um, everything's a huge controversy. So the media is clearly twisting that. But sh- I. Sh- I doubt she would ever say that unless she wants to just completely change her whole image. Her and- persona, yeah. I, I, think, I think that she started, like, after she won the US Open, she started with that persona because she's, like, didn't know any better and, like, was just, like, trying to be nice. And now, now she, I think low-key she's getting pissed off with oh, the yeah. media but still wants to maintain that reputation. But, like, if it was me, you got, you got hundreds of millions in the bank. You have a Grand Slam title, you know, you're, I'm not saying you have to be a complete asshole and a shitty person, but like, just say it as it is a little bit, you know? When yeah. you're, if you get a dumb question from the media, say like, that's just absurd. And look, <laughs> all these matches, people are stressed out. And when you're watching a match in match, of course, the players are going to be stressed out. But when I was watching Emma, we were watching Emma yesterday night at the City Open front row. The stress was just like reverberating off of her. I, I felt... You know, it was a first round match where she was playing a, some girl ranked like in the 200s and she won relatively easily, like 6-4, 6-3. But it looked like she was playing for her life. But if she lost that, that match, like something was going to happen to her. She looked so stressed. Uh, she could barely breathe on the court. Um, and yeah, she doesn't look like she's having a good time at all. So yeah. But, but yeah, well, Holger Rune, what was he responding to? I honestly don't know. Okay. Probably some bullshit. I love, that. I love that from Holger. Put the media in their place. Put the fake news in their place, you know? You got to fight back. You can't just let them create the narrative for you like that. Exactly, exactly. But... Okay, so um, I'm going to go to the fun trivia now. This is going to be an interesting one. I don't think you're going to be able to get it. Well, yeah, I don't think you're going to be able to get it, but it's going to be possible. Um, okay. And so, you know, there's a couple of ways we can do the trivia. So... Here's the question, okay? Who, on the WTA Tour, on Instagram, who has the most followers who are in the top 100? Wow, wait, how did you, first of all, let me ask you how you found this. I, I found it, I don't remember, I saw some article about it and it, I clicked on it. I did not personally, if you're asking me if I took the time to go through every single follower of every single WTA Top 100 player, I did not do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, obviously, but I'm just saying, like, uh, someone ha- someone did. Very cool, very cool article. Someone very- did, and and we appreciate that. You're making whoever did that. You're making our job easier. Um. So yes, and I have the top five. So, you know, if you want to guess, you know, the top, the number one, and then you want to like maybe throw some names out who you think are in the top five. Oh, okay. Like, like, like you're you're saying like. Okay, that are followed by people in the top 100. Yeah. The most followers in the top 100, correct. 
Right. See, it's interesting. So, like, uh, initial, my thinking is, like, you want to go with someone that, like, everyone likes. So, like, the initial first name that popped in my head is someone like Anz Jabor. Like, I feel like I've never, I feel like everyone who talks about Anz Jabor likes her. So, I'm just going to assume that's going to equate to people following her on Instagram. But that being said, I don't know if, like, there's an age thing. She's older, right? She's, like, 25. And I don't know what the average age is of someone in the top 100 is. Uh, so just that's my like initial thinking and I have no other thinking so I might have to go with Anza Jabor but let me just uh, can I just am I allowed to scroll through the top 100 look at the names sure I mean yes I'll say that that is actually that is incorrect but you want to you want to see if you can I mean that wasn't my final answer I was just going through my thinking okay that's fine that's fine but um we can say okay it's not her that's that's okay that's only one person okay there's okay let me just I'm, I'm just gonna okay Loki could be Iga, um, because she's cool and also is really good at tennis. Uh, I'm gonna go. Oh, I'm gonna go Victoria Azarenka. Nope. Oh. Let me give you multiple choice. See if you can get it. Yeah, that we're gonna have to because this is a really hard one. Okay, here's the multiple choice. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Daria Kasakina, Ayla Tomlanovich. Linda Bencic or Annette Contabite? What? I, I um, Annette Contabite posts a lot on Instagram, takes to the social media platform a lot. I don't know if that if that means anything. Uh, the other one was Bencic. Uh, I don't think it's Bencic. Uh, who who are the other two? Um, Daria Katsukina. I love Tomlanovic. I'm going to say Isla Tomlanovic because she's like kind of, I, I don't know. I, that's, it's yeah. either her and Annette, her or Annette. Okay, you, um, were, doomed, you were doomed from the start. In it's this Daria? It's Benchich. Oh, my she God. She has 47 players in the top 100 who follow her. Which is pretty crazy. And then everyone else I said is actually also in the top five. So it's Benchic, Kontovite, Kasik, Kanya, um, Tomlanovic is fifth, and then uh, Amanda Anamsova. Well, what, a, what a direct way of like understanding who is the most kind of like liked amongst their colleagues. Like imagine if this was a, like a normal workplace. Yeah. You could see how many people were following someone from your, from your like office yeah. or something. It'd be too funny. Yeah. Uh, then there's uh, yeah. There's uh, I, I was gonna be that one two person. Everyone's like, you know, no one follows them. <laughs> I'm surprised with Tomjanovich being in the top five. To be honest. Uh oh, she she is in the top five. I I know I I I kind of see it. I feel like she uh has like a range of people. She's like kind of came up. She was in the at she was at every stage of yes. the top hundred. So that maybe gets you to know people in that in that you know, section of the hundred, kind of like in junior tennis, you're like, you know, you're friends with like the guys who are like your level, you know, yes, or, like, exactly. or like a little bit above your level, you know, you're not like, you know, that's kind of how it it's works. Like with, it's, it's just like with friend groups, right? You're kind of friends with people who are kind of at your level, right? Usually. Exactly. You're not. Yeah. Generally that's, yes. that's the case. Yeah. You have your, yeah. It's like uh, the ACP and WTA. It's like school. It's like you have your clicks. Yeah. You People that don't really fit in, yeah, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that's yeah, that, that's a really interesting, like, 
trivia question. But I have one more quote. Uh, you want to do it? Um, yes. Uh, this quote, I don't know if it's good. Do you want to do something about Novak vaccine? I just, I don't know. I, I, if you have another one, I'd rather do another one. I'm tired of this. I mean, I don't want to, we, we've talked about the Novak Djokovic vaccine. But it's interesting because it's a quote from someone outside of the tennis community. And it's about Novak Djokovic. I will say this, um, Congress, ha- you know, there's been a letter that's actually been sent by Congress. Uh, Claudia Tenney, she's a member of Congress for New York, Republican, sent a letter um, to the State Department demanding they let Novak in. So uh, shout out to Claudia Tenney. That's actually going to be my honorable mention. So shout out. That's a good one. All right, here, here's, here's a quote. It's, it's kind of easy. Okay. People who criticize me don't know what I've been through in my life. Actually, this is so easy. <laughs> All right, just give me the multiple choice. All right, let me, let, me start, let me start the quote over. People who criticize me don't know what I've been through in my life. People confuse my self-confidence with arrogance. Novak. Was it? Novak Djokovic. Bernard Tomek, Nick Kyrgios, or Francis TFO? Kyrgios. Okay, yeah. well, I'm either, I was going to say Novak, because I think a lot of people do think that he's arrogant. Um, but he, and he was, I think a lot of people confuse Novak's confidence for his arrogance. With Nick, I actually do think that he's arrogant. I don't think that he's, he's just some confident guy that people think he's arrogant. Um, so I think the quote fits better to Novak as to what's actually true. But at the same time, that's not something that, that's like not vernacular that Novak used. I don't think I've ever heard him use the word arrogance. So that's why Nick, and Nick's always trying to talk about how, like low key talk about how good of a person he is and somehow slip that in there um, very sneakily all the time. Um, so yeah, and, and Novak doesn't really, to Novak's credit, he doesn't do that. Like, yes, he wants people to like him, but he doesn't go and talk about how good of a person he is or all the stuff he does. Yeah, that's true. That's you very true. Every time Nick Kyrgios mentioned the NK Foundation, I mean, you'd be a, you'd be a millionaire, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, Novak's obsessed with having people like him, but yeah, he doesn't. He's not gloating and like he's not. He's, yeah, he's not selling himself as to why people should like him and why he's a good person. Yeah. You always hear those stories secondhand you know, about Novak. You don't hear them directly from him. Uh, we hear them secondhand, but the general public never hears them. Yes. Most, like, like, no news. You'll hear it if you're talking to someone who, like, knows the situation. Mm-hmm. You'll never get that kind of information from Tennis Channel or any other tennis, you know, media outlet because they, f- like, hate, they hate Novak, literally. Novak is funding a young Serbian up-and-coming player who's ranked around 300 who, like, is, you know, he heard basically through the grapevine that wasn't a good player, but wasn't able to pay for his expenses and travel to tour. So um, he hit with Novak once and Novak basically told his father, like, don't worry about it. I'm going to cover everything. And, um, you know, don't worry about it because I know someday that, you know, people helped me out when I was younger. So uh, I'm going to help you out and you're also going to help people out. Uh, and, you know, if that was Rafael Nadal or Roger Federer, You'd probably see like a one-hour special on Tennis Channel about that one act of kindness, but um, I don't. You know, 
that that's that's the kind of thing that Novak does. Exactly. You don't hear about Novak. You'll you know everything that Federer and Nadal do does. I'm not. I mean, it's great that they do it, but it's just plastered everywhere. Yes, Nadal and Federer are incredible ambassadors for the sport and great human beings in terms of what they give back. Um, but so is Novak, and you just don't hear about it. Yeah, our issues. Our issues not with Nadal or Federer. Obviously, it's with the people relaying the information to the tennis public. Correct. Correct. Right. But no, the that's... establishment media. Tennis. Yeah, the, the tennis establishment, tennis channel. People like um, people like Prakash John Armitrage. Huh? John Wertheim. <laughs> Is that the that's the tennis channel guy? Yeah. He's yeah. A, he's he, he's annoying. Did he play tennis? I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I would assume not because just the way he talks. I don't. Yeah, you get you get you get a lot of tennis people on tennis channel that are just. Um, annoying to listen to yeah gotta, they they need to strike a balance of bringing people on who have tennis knowledge and are not um to put it bluntly fucking annoying yeah that's what they that's what they need to do so um okay but what do you want to get into now um the americans let's talk about the americans uh I think we have to lead off with I know I know it's um it's been a while because we didn't do a podcast but uh congratulations to Max Cressy uh winning his first ATP title in Newport. I did not think this would ever be possible uh when I used to hit with him in high school. Um but but he's he's proved proved a lot since then um with a lot of success at UCLA and now on the tour and also shout out to Jensen Brooksby for making the final in Atlanta and having some big wins over fellow Americans like Francis TFO. Um, yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll start off with those guys. Do you want to talk about Cressy first Brooksby first? Do you want to talk about them both kind of together? Let's uh, talk about, okay, let's talk about Cressy. Um, and let's talk about what, first of all, what Bublik said after Cressy beat him. Uh, in the finals and this is similar to what Medvedev was saying on the court in the Australian Open if you remember Cressy played Medvedev the Australian Open Medvedev was complaining about how lucky this guy is the luckiest guy I've ever played in my entire life Um, barely shook his hand and so I think Cressy has I'm not sure if it's a reputation for being quote-unquote lucky Uh, but Bublik totally uncalled for after the match said um, uh, I don't know do you have the quote here Vid? Um, um, I, yes, he said, he said, if you have all your, that great luck, just go to the casino and put your money on red. You're going to win big time. That's what, that's what Bublik said uh, to Cressy. So just, that, that, first of all, that's, that's uncalled for, that kind of comment. Um, but I think there's this reputation that Cressy has that he's just lucky. He's a servant volleyer. You know, he said he wanted to make servant volley great again, which I'm a big fan of. But you, you make your own luck in this game. You know, and that's just his, his game. That's what he's learned to play. And like you said, you hit with him, you know, in high school. And, um, you know, it was, it was something where obviously he was a good player, but you would never think based on his ground strokes that he could reach this level. So I think for the players, when they probably hit with him as well and see that his level from the ground is not good, they feel like he's kind of a fraud, but he's not. He's not a fraud. Um, he's, he's winning all these matches and he's uh, 
you know, one of the highest top 40 player and now one of the highest ranked Americans. Yeah, look, so what he did was identified what in his game was extremely good, his serve and like he worked on his volleys and he, or honestly, I, I, if I had to take a guess at who actually taught him to play this way and said like, you're only going to be good if you do this is probably Billy Martin, the UCLA coach, because he wasn't doing this when he was a junior in high school and stuff. So he found, he took the components of his game that are some of the best in the world and said, look, how can I implement these? So I'm playing to these strengths. Um, in you know in most of the points or a high percentage of the points and that's what he's been able to do so you can't knock on him for that it's actually quite impressive uh, and admirable what he's done and like you said when you're playing to those strengths yeah you're you're putting yourself in a position to be lucky um you're putting yourself in a position to succeed and that's what he's doing and i can see why it's frustrating for the players it's even even now, still on TV watching him, um, yeah, I'm still like I'm still like no fucking like are you fucking kidding me? That'll I'll say that out loud. But yes. in reality, in reality, he's putting himself in a position to succeed. Um, it's really remarkable what he's done, and I understand why the other players get frustrated. But there's literally no reason for them uh, to get there. There's a reason for them to get frustrated because they're not getting a rhythm. But there's no reason for them to call him lucky or you know, say he's getting lucky, like go to the casino. Cause it's not luck. He's, he's, he's putting himself in a position to succeed. Every time I see him hit a forehand though, I, I'm like not feeling great. I think he's going to miss it. You know? Uh, yeah. I mean, forehand to forehand. I, I remember like one time in practice, like high school, like he was obviously a very, a very good junior player, but just not like, not like some you thought would go pro. Um, and like we were doing like a forehand to forehand. I'll never forget this, especially now that he's top 50 in the world, but we were just like going cross court forehands, doing a forehand drill, and and the guy couldn't keep a ball on the court. Like he, he was shanking the ball, missing. Like, um, like I was like knocking. I was like, wait, I'm literally getting no practice out of this because he's missing every second ball. So yeah, uh, and you think you got to think in the locker room that it's just one of these things where for whatever reason someone gets a reputation of being lucky or someone gets a reputation of being a fraud. Nothing to do with who they are as a person, but then every time someone plays them and they come off the court and they'll complain to their friends on the tour and it'll just reach a point where, you know, you, for a normal person, I feel like no one would make these kind of comments about luck. But when you get to that point where everyone knows that he has the reputation of being the lucky guy, then people like Medvedev, people like Bublik, they feel like, oh, I can, I can make this comment and no one's gonna, and the tour is gonna like look at me badly because we've all kind of collectively agreed that he's a lucky, a lucky player, you know? Yeah, and I don't, I don't think, like, I know we're probably going to talk about this in a second, but Cressy doesn't have, like, I don't know if he has many friends on the tour, kind of came out of nowhere. I don't know who he hangs out with. He, like, we've talked about his story coming from France to America, so he's kind of not really in with the French guys. He's not really in with the American guys who have been uh, playing tournaments together since they were really young. So he's kind of this kind of lost guy. In, in the in the middle, which it's is like it's like that thing. I feel like it's like something at work where you're doing a group project or something like that, and there's one guy who kind of slacks off, doesn't do anything, but he has like one good idea or he has a couple great points, and then that's noticed, and then 
he's promoted, where everyone else thinks that, oh, this guy is not intelligent. He doesn't have all these other skill sets. But he's one thing that's amazing and people notice him. That's kind of like what Maxi and Cressy is, is on the tour, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I guess now we got to talk about Brooksby. Um, yeah, the only other thing I'll say about Cressy is, is stats. Uh, kind of interesting. It does kind of um, agree with the fact that he not, may not be lucky, but is just not a consistent player, okay? He's actually four and five against players outside the top 100 this season. So he has a losing record against people who are lower, ranked lower than 100, and he's 11 and seven against the top 50. So obviously that's, that's great, but it just shows that he still can – lose also lose to anyone well i i've always said this um about him he can probably beat anyone but he could probably lose to anyone yeah right exactly he could lose he could easily lose to a guy who's 400 in the world easily he could easily beat someone who's top 10 he did he beat felix i mean i also love i okay i think the thing that also might annoy people is that he says that he wants to be number one in the world which is an absurd comment but he says, like, I want to be number one in the world. I want to win multiple majors, things. Just absur- absurd things. He, like maybe that takes people off, too, because it's like, you, your forehand is terrible. How are you saying these things, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and say whatever you want. Say whatever you want. Um, let's see if it happens. It might. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know. He's also just, like, an interesting person, that guy. Um, yeah, it's an inter- interesting person, but yeah, Brooksby now talk about Brooksby. Yeah. Um, Brooksby final of Atlanta beat Francis TFO. I don't know if you guys watched the match in that semifinal, but Brooksby won the match, then did the silencer LeBron silencer celebration. Um, <laughs> Against TFO, who that's TFO's trademark celebration. His trademark celebration, and Brooksby kind of did it in a very weak, weak manner, I guess you could say. And, and then there was talk about how no one likes Brooksby. But to be honest, I think he's one of my favorite players. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously really annoying to play. And people don't like playing him. He's seen as a pusher on the tour just because he's able to, you know, get to everything. And it's another situation where it, people don't like him as a person. So then when they get on the court and want to play him, they want to beat him almost too badly. And it usually does not, does not go well for them, you know? Exactly. He's, he's such a, you know, seems like such a loser, but such a winner at the same time, Jensen Brooksby. Yes, he's such a he's such a winner, and and the, the the LeBron celebration, I can understand why people would be mad at it, but the tennis media and people, everyone like that, they treated it like he was like a second degree felony. I mean, they were like, oh my god, this guy is so disrespectful. On Tennis Channel, one person was saying, which is true, that he's not part of the you know clique of American players like the Tommy Paul, Riley Opelka, and now that he's going to be even further out, it's like, why are you even well, talking about that? Who he doesn't clearly doesn't care. He doesn't want to be a part. Um, I don't know why, I don't know why that matters. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like he's not trying to like make friends on tour. He's trying to go do his job and win as many matches as possible, which I think is commendable and a good thing. Like he's not there. His number one priority is winning not to socialize like some people, you know? Yeah. A hundred percent. He's there to 
be professional and do a job. And usually those are the kind of players that end up rising higher in the rankings and like maximizing potential. Right. And that's where there's a kind of crossover between him and Cressy, both really interesting, opposite, essentially opposite game styles, but so interesting and unique. And I think, and also both guys that are kind of, um, I'm going to, uh, using a quote from Tannis Channel, the guy had actually a good quote. Both of them are a wolf pack of one, going about their going about their business, uh, and I just I would li- I'm interested to see how their both their careers kind of go from here. I guess you could say. What do you think the ceiling is for both of them? Um, I I I think Brooksby. Here's the thing. I think Brooksby has the ability to change and still form his game and make him more successful Uh, but the thing about his current game style and like you're not going to completely go away from that because it's how he's been playing his whole life is a little bit too physical and it's not something I think he can sustain over a long period of time in a tournament we saw in Atlanta that he was exhausted it's because every match he has no matter who it's against is going to be grueling so I think he can work on firstly getting his serve just better his serve just like not good and uh secondly being a little bit more aggressive and forcing the issue a little bit more uh with regards to Cressy I think he's not going to change his game style ever because he can't he's just not good doesn't have enough talent and isn't good enough but I think if the game styles stay the same as they are now I think Cressy honestly may have could have a better career but if Brooksby kind of molds his game into something that's better, I think he would be better than Cressy. Yeah, it would be interesting. I, th- I think Cressy could be kind of like a similar to Felix where he does really well in big tournaments and makes a lot of runs, but then also like loses a lot of first rounds. But as long as you're making those deeper runs, then you can have um, a higher ranking. So, yeah. Exactly. Is that, is that all we had for this segment? What else? Yes, yeah. I feel like there's more to say, but... I don't know. I thought it was good. We talked about Brooksby. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And then put the trivia in. Yeah. But does that, does that wrap it up for this episode? I guess so, yeah. I guess that wraps up. This one is shorter than our usual ones, but hopefully sweeter yeah. than our usual ones. And, and, um, and we will hopefully be back online in a week or less than a week less than a week uh we'll talk about the city open talk about other stuff that's going on what do we have coming up toronto cincinnati um and the u.s open is right around and the landsville pennsylvania wta 100 wta 100 we're gonna go check that out we'll be boots on the We'll be boots on the ground for that. Will you guys be watching? Probably not, but we'll talk about it on the podcast. Yes. And just let you know what it's about. Maybe that is the tournament where you get to talk to players. There's really no one to do. That's like going to a team.